The Braving Business Podcast is brought to you by, well, me. I'm PJ Benoit and have been in the domestic and international logistics and transportation field for over three decades. Are you looking to ship literally anything, direct to consumer or business to business, small package, pallet and freight, truckload, international air and ocean, warehousing and distribution, and so much more? Let's connect. Go to shipwithpj.com to learn more. That's shipwithpj.com. And now for the show. Well, looky there. How are you, Ben? I'm I'm well. I'm I'm excited. It's Friday, so you know, anytime it's Friday, it's uh, it's a better day than almost any other day of the week. <laughs> I yeah. I happen to love Fridays personally yeah so uh no it's good you know what i like about fridays i like that there is this potential for greatness right the weekend can be great you don't know if it's gonna be great mm. but the potential for it <laughs> exists right so yeah, yeah. There's... and so I, and i'm all about you know being being newly single again i'm all about potential at this point in my life you know so oh, well we can um, we can go on a whole other podcast about that i mean that's uh <laughs> swipe right swipe left it's all oh, it's all goodness. a thing but uh no i mean so obviously you being newly newly single your potential is probably a lot more alluring and exciting than my potential <laughs> For the weekend? Well, look, I've seen your wife. You're doing great. I oh, mean, I know. You know, you're punching way above your weight. Oh, so, I know. Come on. I know. I have. I've outpunted my coverage. Um, yes, it's yes, the miracles of tequila. However you want to say it. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Somehow, somehow. Uh, you know what you you know what it is. Your marriage proves that women and I'm. You know, I'm going to say I'm kidding right after I'm. I say what I'm about to say, but it proves that women lean into personality first, right? Generally speaking, not always. You know. <laughs> Either that or um, thank God for bad eye prescriptions. Um, Absolutely. That, that helps me out a lot. In, in a very <laughs> the, funny story. It's actually really good. <laughs> Absolutely. In, in a true story, I once went out with a girl and I, I said to her, she looked beautiful. And then right after that, I almost, I just, I, I said, you know what? I, I, and I didn't even mean it, but it just came across that way. I said, oh, I forgot my glass. I'm not gonna be able to see the menu. And uh, she immediately associated <laughs> with that with, you know, with what I just said about her. <laughs> and uh yeah that was that was uh, that, that was embarrassing that is amazing yeah. i love that was, yeah. the, was there a day two uh yes yes as a matter of fact there oh, were there many dates after that well, yeah and that's when the old the old uh personality and intelligence that's that's did, exactly did she look right. different on day two with your glasses on she looked great every date okay, uh good. you know so <laughs> that was uh not an issue um pj shall we introduce our guest oh you mean you mean martin rovinsky of course. I do mean Martin Ravinsky. Of course we should. So okay. Martin, thank you for joining. Martin is Absolutely. a global technology pioneer, an executive recruitment expert, and an international speaker with 25 years of C-level experience. He is the co-founder and CEO of Boardseye, a SaaS-based executive recruitment firm whose proprietary software, which he created, allows companies to search for the most qualified directors and advisors from their for their boards from a pool of thousands of top executives across the U.S. and globally. The software also allows executives to find board positions in a simple, easy, and streamlined process. Martin is the author of a highly acclaimed book, The Corporate Matchmaker, and has been I featured- I have the book. Oh, there, there you go. I can't read, so I didn't get it. Um, it has been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur, Fast Company, NASDAQ, and Bloomberg, among others. Martin, 
we are honored, pleased, and overjoyed to have you with us on the Braving Business Podcast. Thank you very much. And to add to that list, I just had my first uh, article featured on Inc. Magazine. So oh, nice. Cool. All right. This must have just happened. I mean, we literally got this, it, it uh, you know, this bio a couple <laughs> weeks ago, and uh, there you yep. go. New things every just day. The accolade, accolades keep piling yeah. on. That's awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Martin, it's, it's, a, it's a real pleasure to meet you. I, uh, you know, first of all, I, I love that a guest actually has a name, last name that is uh, nearly as complex as mine. Uh, <laughs> that That is always uh, a joy. His is um, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I want to talk about the fact that you actually made your journey uh, to the United States from what was then communist Poland. And uh, I I cannot imagine uh, what a uh, what a shift it must have been to come from, you know, a communist country to the United States. It must have been incredible. I'd love to hear how growing up the way you grew up uh, shaped your mindset entrepreneurially and and otherwise and also you know what made you choose to choose to chase this american dream uh of freedom and opportunity yeah absolutely i tell you that the most uh tiring thing was that swim from poland you know it's, it's a bit more than from mexico that was a that was a rough one but that prepared me for all the all the troubles ahead and being an entrepreneur for sure um yeah, no, it, I did grow up in communism. Uh, and you would think, you know, not uh, growing up in a communist country wouldn't really prepare you for entrepreneurship. But what you'll find is, and I've met a lot of people from communism, and they're very successful entrepreneurs. Actually, most recently, I just met an actress. Um, and she uh, she came from Russia. But Interesting enough, there is a, a big group, you know, when you're being beat down and when you're being told you can't do certain things, um, it actually makes you want to do them. And then, of course, watching TV, we didn't get too many channels, but some of the channels we did get, I used to watch old Western movies and Clint Eastwood movies. And, you know, I, I always saw America as this country that you can just uh, leave your car unlocked. I mean, Clint Eastwood never locked his car. And it was just this... <laughs> Yeah, well, would see. you mess with Clint Eastwood? I mean, come on, you wouldn't, no, right? No, I wouldn't. There, nobody messes with their DJ yet. might, but I wouldn't. <laughs> I, I would, I would mess with them, then push you towards them, tall, and I'd run. <laughs> <laughs> Put me in front of you. Yeah, that's what you would do. I, I believe that. Absolutely. So yeah, so that's what I really, I mean, TV really showed me that there's a bigger world out there than just communism. And since childhood. That's what I wanted. And I tested waters in Poland, actually, and got in trouble quite often. The biggest one, one of the biggest ones was when uh, they forced us to learn Russian and Polish was hard enough for me. I mean, I wasn't a great student. I was struggling with my own language. It is a <laughs> tough one. And uh, and then all of a sudden they're like, hey, now you got to learn Russian. I'm like, I, I don't want to. The alphabet is totally different. Um Yes, it sounds familiar. Some words do. But uh, so I argued with the teacher that I don't want to take the class. And they said, it's not an option. I, I was confused. So I ended up in principal's office and my mom had to come and save me. Um, and then I started learning Russian. And thankfully, I, uh, uh, we left the country shortly after that. So I never actually learned to speak Russian. How old were you when you came to the States? Uh, so I was 10. We left when I was nine. By the time we actually made it to the States, I was 10. We lived in Italy for about eight months. Wow. Got that it. Interesting. Our... I, I came here from Israel when I was 12. So we, we have a similar experience, very, I guess. Very similar. Yeah. yeah. 
how was it like like initially just being here in the us was it a huge uh, culture shock yeah terrifying yeah. i i was actually happy to be in italy because i'll tell you the kids are in that age group a lot nicer in italy mm. uh, they were very welcoming we lived in one house where my mom ended up getting a job uh, just to earn some money and we got a room room and board basically stayed there while we were waiting for the paperwork to be processed um and um the kids were extremely welcoming and they wanted me to go to their school i didn't speak any italian they spoke actually english but i didn't speak any english so it was interesting how just i mean i would sit there among them they would be talking and speaking in italian and eventually over a few days i started picking up certain words and ended up learning italian in eight months i can't speak a word of it now though but um mm. I started communicating with PJ them. is were, fluent in Italian, actually. I don't know if are you are in, in Italian food. Yes. Yes, yes me too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they were very welcoming. And uh, I, I thought I would experience the same thing coming to US, which is the reason I forgot Italian. I had to refocus and now I had to learn English um, and talk, you know, didn't have anybody to speak Italian with. I, I kept my Polish. I still speak Polish. Um, but it, uh, it was totally different. The school kids in middle school were, uh, bullies. Uh, I think I got in a fight day one or day two. I can't remember. Um, you know, sitting in principal's office. Uh, and if it wasn't for the witnesses, I probably would have been in bigger trouble and been labeled as the trouble kid from now on, you know, day one or day two. And I'm already in principal's office, but I wasn't the one that started a fight. Um, luckily so this enough, is two principal offices now. I'm I'm I'm, I'm yes. sensing a trend, and I also want yes. to be clear for the benefit of our audience that we we at the Braving Business Podcast Innocent. do not advocate any kind of violence or no, uh, anything true. else that might get you sent to the principal's office Unless or you any have to other defend office. Yourself. If you got to defend yourself, all right, but don't Thank be you the for disclosure. <laughs> Absolutely, don't want to get sued. <laughs> yes. So yeah. So. Um, but think, like I said, thankfully, I, there was witnesses and they said that I wasn't the one that started a fight. I just defended myself and uh, and finished the fight. So there that was go. good. Where uh, Where is this in the U.S.? When you first came, where did you where did you arrive? So I landed in San Francisco and we ended up living in Alameda for the first few years and then Oakland. Huh. Okay. So I was kind of all over California for quite a while. Um he says Bay California area, exactly like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Did you hear that? Say that no, again. That was California. California. I love that. Hey, get in yeah. the chopper if you want to live. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. And you you don't remember any of your Russian. I, I do not oh, know. That's too bad. All right. I I know a little Russian, very small. Okay. A little bit. Um, so not a big I mean, I, I can tell you how to say good morning, Dobre Jane. I know like that kind of stuff. Yeah, I know nothing. The all, only thing I remember that, in Russian and my, my father's Russian, but for some reason, the only thing that I remember, and it turned out it's not even proper Russian is Drago saying Garaki, Yatsibia, which apparently is not at all what it's supposed to, what, whatever they said in the subtitles was not at all what he was saying. <laughs> Just an FYI. All I remember is Ochen Ploha, which means very bad. Cause that's all the teacher used to say to me. Every time I said anything, <laughs> um, so Martin, so you arrive in San Francisco, not a large Polish community. Was there, were there a lot of other people from Poland there? 
Uh, actually, there was. So uh, San Francisco actually had a pretty large community uh, where we lived in Alameda. I would say it was a small community. And then when we moved to uh, right outside of or oh, actually in Oakland, but we would drive to Martinez, where we went to a Polish church, also had a pretty good sized community. But I wouldn't say large. San Francisco was probably the biggest community. They had the biggest uh, Catholic church there and a uh, lot of like Polish stores, delic- you know, delic- delicates, um, delicacies, but sure. not, not that big where we were living, but uh, we did go to church there. We did partake in, in, you know, my mom, obviously a lot more. I made a few friends that were Polish, but I was really focused on English, learning English, getting better uh, and just really kind of diving into the new culture that I'm, supposed to be part of so well, I well let's 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 dive into business since uh you know ultimately yeah. you you <laughs> you chose the path of entrepreneurship and, and you started young i think when you were 16 years old uh you started doing some graphic design and printing um first of all what prompted you at a 16 year old and you're at that point i guess you're six years into your journey uh in america yeah what prompted you to start a business at 16 years old i couldn't wait i just had to get started <laughs> and uh i literally had nothing to lose. I mean, what do you have to lose at 16? You go home, you're fed, you have a roof over your head, you spend no money. Um, You know, you can either go get a part-time job while you're in school or you can try something on the side. So I convinced a friend to join me on the venture. And I would like to say, I think the only reason we did it is because we were ignorant and had no idea what we were doing. Uh, um, Blessing in disguise. Um, But yeah, I remember having meetings with business people and <laughs> trying to convince them to let a 16 year old design their logo and, and design their business cards. And, um, I think because I went into it blindly, I was convincing enough that they said, yes, I literally think that was a blessing in disguise. Cause I had no fear. And I really, I mean, I looked at a worst case scenario is they're going to say no. And what's, what's the difference. It's not like it's going to, you know, make my bank account go down. I already, had nothing, so <laughs> had so, nothing to lose. So you learned well a couple of things. A, you learned to be fearless, right? You, you've you've taken the attitude that you had nothing to lose, so that that gives you a foundation of fearlessness. But also, uh, I'm assuming you learned early that facing a no isn't the end all, right? Like you yeah. have to you have to gird yourself with uh, with some stick-to-itiveness and resiliency and and belief in yourself. So when you, when you convince your friend, you're 16 years old, you convince your friend that you want to go and help companies design logos. Was it, what started that? Were you a a great artist or was it like, I think this is a good vehicle for me to start my own business? I I couldn't draw to save my life, (laughs) but I was a, I was a Adobe Photoshop king. Like if you, you know, this is before, obviously now, now it's super easy. You can make yourself look like you're standing next to anybody or you know backdrops and all that but i used to literally by hand i can trace anything and i used to make a lot of funny pictures and you know me shaking certain people's hands that i had no idea who they were but um so i just kind of dove into adobe photoshop and learned the ins and out of it and figured out how to make really cool and good looking logos and and uh yeah, that was that was really it. Looked at a bunch of different business cards. I thought they were boring, so I figured they needed a little little prusing up. 
a little something, something. So what, so that experience going out, Hey, let me design your logo. Get out of the way, kid. Don't know you. Right. Like how did, how did that experience help you in the future when you were building your own larger entrepreneurial visions? Yeah, no, absolutely. It helped a lot. Obviously hearing no is uh, not a good thing. Uh, But if you look at it as an opportunity, what could I have done better? So for example, after I heard no a couple of times, I was like, okay, I got to do something different. I got to do something better. So my next meeting that I had, I said, you have nothing to lose because I'm going to go ahead and design your logo, redesign your logo, design your business card. If you don't like it, tell me to take a hike. Who's going to say no to that, right? I mean, it's like, okay, so you're going to do work for me for free. And if I like it, I'll pay you. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Did that, liked it. And I'll tell you what, next one was a lot easier because now I had a reference. And I can say, hey, this is my client. So it just became easier. I wouldn't say we got a lot of clients, but I probably made just as much money as I would have, you know, working at Jack in the Box, which I did that too, by the way. (laughs) That that's pretty cool, and and from there, um, you know, kind of business became a path for you. It's uh, did you ever consider uh, something other than that, or were you pretty much sold that you know uh, your path was going to be a path where you're, you know, at some point going to build something big that you were you were going to be proud of? Yeah, absolutely. I th- that was my path, and I did take on jobs, but I took him with an entrepreneurial spirit. So whatever job I was at, it was mine. Whatever department they told me to run, it was mine. So, and I don't mean my way or the highway, but I think they sensed, I don't know if it was leadership, but I mean, I was still in my twenties or just the fact that I can do it. Um, And they kind of gave me freedom to go get it and get it done. And as long as I produced results that they wanted, or even outdid what they goals that they set for me, but there was nothing wrong with it. So they gave me that freedom. So I've done that and I did that for a few different companies. Um, and then I decided to do same thing, but for many companies and that's how I got into consulting. Very cool. Very, very cool. So, so you got into consulting, you're, you're trying to, um, you're trying to take to heart, you know, from your past, you're trying to take to heart everything that your managers were asking of you, what the direction of the company was taking and all that. Um, you've already proven that you've been innovative, right? You're, you're, you're saying, Hey, here's a problem. I keep hitting this brick wall. How do I, how do I create something different? How do I approach this a different way? Because eventually you're just gonna, you know, have a bunch of bruises on your forehead if you keep hitting that wall. (laughs) So, you know, innovation, for, for you, obviously you're an innovator. Um, it's clearly a significant aspect of your business ethos, which I think really should be a part of everyone's business ethos, actually. Yes. What about, could you share some insights into how Boardseye continually pushes the envelope in terms of innovation, right? You've, you've created this, this awesome service. And to be honest, I knew about it uh, last year. So I got reached out to people from Board's Eye, kind of dug into it. I was very interested in it. Um, and then I got waylaid with life, but super cool, right? Being able to get on the board to help people with, you know, whatever they're, to help companies with whatever they're planning um, or to say, hey, I want to be a board member. I want to help out 
other corporations to have that as a resource. Um, tell, tell us about Boardseye. Tell us about how innovation kind of drives the entire process. Absolutely. So we had to be disruptive in the space. I mean, the recruitment space has existed for many, many years. Uh, the headhunters, they're a diamond dozen. There's so many of them out there. And their biggest job is collecting resumes and convincing the executive that, hey, I'll just keep it on the back burner. And if an opportunity comes up for you, I'll let you know. Uh, even if they're not looking for a job, but if they find something that's you know promoting them, then obviously people would consider it. So didn't want to do that, but we wanted to create a simple and a niche uh, area where it's focused on board positions and advisory roles only. And part of that passion came from me doing consulting, helping companies and seeing the positive results of when I've done certain things for them. And unfortunately, I wish I, I was an advisor or a board member and had some equity in those companies because I did help a company go public. I helped the company sell to a publicly traded company. And I didn't partake in that exit, which was a bummer for me. Lesson learned and boards I exist. So with that being kept in mind, we wanted to provide a platform. And that's why we charge membership on the executive side, because there's a lot of a lot more work involved in finding any executive a board position. So to go there and go to work and have the staff that we have, we're not a, you know, we're not a Martin headhunter guy. We literally have over a hundred employees, many different departments um, handling this. It takes a lot of work to find a position, get an interview. And then of course, after the interview set up, it's not up to us. It's how a person interviews, but it's hard enough just to get somebody an interview. Um, and as far as innovations involved, now that we have the data for the last, you know, seven years of doing this, we've looked at it and try to figure out why is it that when we send 50 executives to a company, they pick four to interview. Like what were what was so special about those four? Because all 50 of them had same skill sets, same experience, expertise, not the same, but very similar. And they fit the same pattern, industry. So why did they pick those? So that's been something we've been working on for the last year is trying to figure that out, do a lot of data digging. And we concluded that a lot of it is with uh, extended uh, training or uh, classes, education. And most of it had to do with executive branding. So now we're fixing that problem. That's our next innovation. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, let, let's let's talk about... Uh... Failures and setbacks, and uh, you know, I, I know through your profile that it hasn't been all smooth sailing. You guys are doing really well <laughs> no. now, um, and you know, a lot of the people that are listening uh, to this podcast are listening because they're looking for inspiration uh, for how to overcome setbacks and how to persevere. Talk to us about that. Um, you know, setbacks can be really taxing, and being a founder, CEO, entrepreneur is often very lonely. Um, what is your personal way of dealing with setbacks? Um, do you have any advice that you would give someone that maybe is just starting out and getting into the business world about how to handle that? First of all, I would say expect it. Don't go into business if you think it's smooth sailing. Because I, I think a lot of people out there look at 
the success, but they don't know what it got, what it took to get there. You know, just like you see some actor and you're like, oh, they're so famous. But what did it take from, you know, how many crappy commercials did they have to do? How many crappy interviews and and how many times did they stand in line to to go, you know, try out for a role and, and be told, no, they suck. And eventually they hit it big, they get lucky. And that's all everybody sees is just that success. They don't see the struggle. So I would say expect it. There's going to be obstacles. You're going to hit speed bumps, potholes. Um, but keep in mind, the obstacles exist for you to learn from them and to get better. They don't exist to stop you. They just exist because we all need to continue our education. The best way to do that is when you hit a wall, you got to figure out, don't keep going through that same wall. There's a door to the left or to the right. Take the door. It's easier. But you got to find that. Think outside the box. I would say surround yourself with uh, like-minded people. Have a team, which is why Boardsai exists for that reason. We build the teams for them. Um, and as far as family life, make sure you have a supportive team. I'm sometimes amazed that I'm still married. Let's just put it that way. I've, I've had I've had a tough tough life, but uh, my wife loves my entrepreneurship spirit, and she's been just as grateful and helpful through fails as she is right now. So um, have it have the support team behind you, and uh, have them uplift you when you're struggling, when you're hitting those downtimes, and have people you can talk to, bounce ideas off of. But obstacles will come your way. That's a, uh, that's amazing. And kudos, kudos to the missus. I, you're, you're absolutely you. right. Having a, um, having a partner that is, uh, there for you through thick and thin, um, is, is awesome because a lot of times as, as Tal had mentioned before, entrepreneurship can be very lonely. It could be, yeah. uh, it could be a slog. It could be taxing in so many different ways. And I think that, um, being able to have a, a safe space, both, you know, mentally and emotionally is something that's, that's uh, super crucial these days, especially for entrepreneurs. Yes, I agree hundred percent. What's changed for you? I mean, in terms of your leadership style, obviously, you know, we all, we all evolve, right? I think of myself when I was uh, a young entrepreneur in my twenties, thirties uh, and into my forties, I'll be 50 later this year. And, and I'm a vastly different person and leader um, than I was certainly 20 years ago, and even on some level, three or four or five years ago. What's changed for you? Um, and what prompted those changes? Yeah, I would say my biggest change, and by the way, I'm, I am in my 50s, so I'm a little bit ahead of you. Me too. Um, <laughs> oh, awesome. You both look um, lovely. I mean, I would yeah. give you a day past... 49. Oh, thanks. <laughs> hey, dude, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm double nickels. I'll take it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I would say the biggest change when looking at my leadership is I was, when I was younger, I would say I was a good leader, but very short tempered and frustrated. Meaning if there was something for someone on my team to do and they were struggling, I was that person that would go, you know what? Let me just do it. Mm. 
because it was a lot quicker than sitting there waiting for them or teaching them. And I think that over the last, I would say, probably eight years, seven years since boards, I maybe has really evolved for me, the patience level. And I think that does have a lot to do with age. Um, I'm a lot more patient now. Uh, and I rely on my team and I understand that it's okay if they make a mistake. And instead of fixing it by doing it myself, I will actually go through that time, show them how to do it right. And then let them do it the next time. And hopefully they do it right. And so far that's paid off. I would say that's being a hands-off leader, but actually entrusting my team to get it done has been the, my biggest probably change as far as leadership goes. And, and how has that impacted results? I mean, are you seeing, would you, as you compare what you're seeing now with this approach to how effective you were using the approach you used before, is this a more, is the approach you're using now more effective? 100%. So relying on a team, trusting a team, I see a difference in the team. They don't feel beat down. They feel responsible for certain things. They take pride in their work. Um, and as far as on my end, I get to take vacations knowing that shit's going to get done. Vacations are awesome. Yes. <laughs> And especially when you can have peace of mind, which, which, yeah, I, you know, yeah. having the right team in place makes, makes a big difference. And, uh, you know, what's interesting is I, I'll ask you this question because I've, I've contemplated this. I, I don't look back at my past with regret because I think I am who I am because of my past, good, bad, and ugly. As you look back at how you started and what, you know, the lessons, I mean, as you said, you were short tempered and, and, uh, impatient, it sounds like. Yeah. Which would be, I would say, uh, par for the course for many, many entrepreneurs, mm. certainly young ones. Um, if you had a different mindset then, do you think you would have been more or less successful? I mean, do you think that you had to take the approach? Did you have to travel the path you traveled, in your opinion, to end up where you wound up? Or do you feel that had you started where you are now, you'd still wound up in, you know, uh, approximately in the same place? So I will say this. I think I took the path that I had to take. Uh, I think my patience came in a time that it needed to come in at. I have no regrets. Um, I enjoyed being a hands-on. And still to this day, I'll say this. If I was to start a new business tomorrow, I can do it all by myself because I can do all those things and I can rebuild the team. So knowing that really gives you the confidence I think if you start too young and you're not a hands-on uh, leader, you might be missing on not being able to do certain things and, and that way maybe not even be able to teach correctly how to do those things. So I think hands-on just really taught me like what works, what doesn't work, how to think outside the box to get things done, and then take that knowledge now and be able to pass it on and have the team do it the most effective way. And even me to this day, I'm still taking in knowledge and willing to learn because there are things that my team brings to me and says, Hey, I love the way that you were doing this, but guess what? I just found a better way. And I'm like, Oh, awesome. Or I just found yeah. this tool. Look what it does. And I'm like, Oh, that's great. Where was that 10 years ago? I want to, I want to ask you something. It's said that the, this topic or this, uh, statement think outside the box is kind of, uh, common 
but its meaning is uh, far from clear. What does thinking outside the box mean to you? So I think in a box to me just makes me think of communism, like just <laughs> people, that, right? Yeah. I mean, people that are just, uh, you know, walled in and this is what they think their world is. And if they're told by a, whether it's by a person or, or, or anything that this is how things are done and they just sit there and as a robot do him, um, what I found is when you sit there and you look at a process that in a box, I always found a better way when I thought outside the box, like we were just saying, I'm like, wait a second. So there's point A, there's point Z, and we're trying to get from A to Z. Do I have to go through the entire alphabet or can I skip a few letters? Like what are the, what are the tools? What are the resources to skip a few letters? And that especially when I was doing consulting has really helped me help companies really cut down on a lot of different things in their processes, you know, speed up processes and automate processes with writing code. Um, so it, I think thinking outside the box is you really, and I don't think, you know, it's a, it's a genius thing or anything amazing. I think it's sometimes when people are stuck and this is specifically for leaders and they've been doing certain things a certain way, it's hard for them. And then you get this consultant, advisor, board member that steps in and they look at it from outside because they haven't been involved in the process. And they can see it from outside and go, why are you doing this? There's an easier way. So I, to this day, remind myself, okay, don't get stuck in a box, but sometimes reflect, step outside and think about it, okay, you know, for boards are like, okay, we're doing all this and it's great and it's working. And by the way, we just got an Inc. 5000 award for 2023. So congratulations. Thank you. Just during this uh, podcast or, or uh, well, <laughs> they well, seem to that, come all the time for you. Uh, it should hopefully from <laughs> now on. Yeah, we'll reapply next year. Um, but I remind myself and go, okay, how can we make it better? I just, we're not done. How can I make it better? So to do that, I have to put myself outside, look at it like I was a consultant, which I've done for many years, and go, okay, so there's everything here. How do we make it better? And then find a better way to do it or add value to to uh, to the product. That's a great question, Tal. It really is. Because actually, it, it makes me think about how I've always thought that I've always pictured it as, you know, you have a box. There's There's ways that you're used to doing things. And, and you have to think outside the box to be innovative, but then the box expands, right? Because now that Always innovation does. is now inside the box. <laughs> yep. So you, it's, it's all about constantly expanding and, yep. and stretching your muscles and, and trying to just try to be better all around. Yep. Yeah. I, I would add to that, that, uh, you know, I, I personally have become less and less enamored with business speak because I think it, it, it gets people, um, it confuses people. And, um, the challenge is this, right? So, I mean, yes, I think, I think speaking broadly, thinking outside the box, of course, makes total sense. Why would you not? Right. The challenge is knowing when to do that. Right. So not everything, uh, in business is about thinking outside the box. So the first step is assessing, assessing the landscape and evaluating whether whether you need to think outside the box it's not it's not the default that you should 
Um, although oftentimes it, it is in fact what you need to do, particularly if you're seeing stagnation or you're running into yes. unexpected objections from the marketplace, um, that's the time to do it. But I think there's kind of this, you know, look, I, one of my goals with this podcast has been to, to demystify some stuff about business, because I think that there's this mindset of, well, you know, these are these people that are successful folks like you, you've done amazing things, Martin. And, and clearly there's, there's a reason, I mean, you can sit here and, and have this interview and I could, I could list a number of things about you that I think are, that are clearly a, a factor in why you've been successful. You're charismatic, you're funny, you're charming, your <laughs> confidence, the thinking outside the box part, I think probably does set you apart on some level. But I think what probably is more impactful is your ability to read the situation and determine something calls for thinking outside the box. That's a skill that takes time to develop. Sure. And for a lot of young entrepreneurs or just new entrepreneurs, that kind of thinking is not, it's certainly not first nature and it not, may not even be second nature. Yeah. So I, I think getting people to think about um, approaching situations with an eye towards what does the situation call for versus let's think outside the box kind of as a default position. To me, that's a, uh, that's the mindset that, you know, as I mentor or coach, uh, CEOs and entrepreneurs, I, I try to bring them there first because there's always this, there's such, it's such mystique and, uh, it's romantic to think about, Oh, I'm going to think outside the box. Sometimes the best thing you do is think inside the box, just do it really well, just execute. Yep. So I, I I went on a soapbox there, PJ. I apologize, but oh, I just want to put that up. God. Look, that soapbox was awesome. Um, I, I'm also brought to mind that awareness is also another big thing. I think that Martin has um, first of all, Martin, you're fascinating. I mean, you're you're it's it is <laughs> fascinating. Well, because I think it's so unique. And maybe it's not as unique, but at least us in America, we we tend to be pretty insular, right? I think you had a problem coming over as a kid because in Italy, they're used to people from other countries coming over and not speaking the language and all that other kind of stuff. Here, we don't we don't experience that as much, right? And so we're not aware of those situations. Some new kid comes in, he he sounds like he's got a funny accent, he's got a funny name. All right, he's not one of us, and it's easy to to push aside, just like I'm sure. Tom At least he's it. Martin. I was taught. I was going to say it was you, for me in eighth grade. Same, same experience, right? So the fact that you lived in such a controlled environment, so to speak, within communism, and then you're coming to to the U.S., where a lot of times, you know, all holds barred, right? Like nothing, nothing's holding you back. It's, I think, one of the things that you bring to it is an awareness, a self awareness of. I know how things were and I can picture how things can be better. And a lot of times tall, I, I think to, to your point, um, we not only do we need to execute within the box, but I think we also have to be a little bit more self-aware of things through life in order for us to, to be our best selves at all times. That's there's my soapbox. We've both been on soapboxes, man. Yeah. My, I think Martin, mine was like wet? a soapbox. It was very slippery. <laughs> well, I, I have a question for you, Martin. I actually am jumping on, uh, you know, where where PJ took us, which is about self awareness and about being one's best self. Um, what what's your what's your inner talk, right? So I've been asking this question a lot. So a lot of the guests that come on talk about what's outside. Um, tell me what's inside. Uh, how do you do? Um, how kind are you to yourself? How gentle are you with yourself? 
And has that evolved for you? Let's just say I'm a lot harder on myself when I play golf. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I beat myself up. And I'm working on getting better because it's, it's a very mental game. And I, I got to get better at that. Uh, if I can get as better as that as I've been in, in life in general, then uh, I'll probably play better. Um, my, I, I wake up. I, I'll tell you my quick routine and what goes through my head real quick. So I wake up and my first thing is I, I read the Bible. I go to church. I'm sorry. I go to the gym. Uh, if I don't go to the That's gym. That's a big difference. He, I was yeah, going to, I was difference. really impressed. And then he went to the gym. Look well, at that. Hey, <laughs> for some That's people, okay. That's all right. The church. For some like, people that is the church. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, to each their own. Well, I do read the Bible in the morning. So right. there you go. Okay. Um, but yeah, I go to the gym and, and I do all this. I start at 5 a.m. So I, I get it, get it early. It's not as, not as, uh, early as Mark Wahlberg, but you know, pretty close. <laughs> um, so after the gym, I basically come home, get started. I, I, uh, before I get started, I'm usually in my sauna and that's my half an hour of quote unquote meditation, thinking things through. What's my day going to look like? What do I need to attack? Kind of go through my mental to-do list. I don't have it written down. I just literally go through it every day just in my head. And, and then I go off to work. And of course, things come up. Days are not perfect. They don't, they don't happen exactly how I meditated they were going to happen. But things come up. So how I handle those and what my self-talk is on that is the same that I've been telling my team, my partners, my people that are struggling with certain things on my team, is no matter what happens, if there's a fire in your house, if you panic, you'll die. Because hmm. out of panic, nothing good comes from it. But if you stay calm and think clear, you literally walk out the door. So same goes for Anything that happens in business, if you just take it in, think it through, breathe, you will come up with the best, quickest solution versus doing something out of panic that's going to bite you in the butt later. So that is my self-talk on whether it's an emergency happening, uh, something's on fire, uh, all hell is breaking loose at work. Oh my God, I can't believe this just happened. To always reflecting and saying, okay, it's okay. Let's calm down. Let's think this through. What happened? What led to it? What's the solution? Instead of, oh, we got to do this right away. This this has to be fixed and this is how you fix it. No, that's not the solution. So that, I, I, I got to say that. I, I love that. As I hear, as I hear you say that, um, I reflect on something that I learned again, late in my career, I would say, well, it's been <laughs> certainly the last 10 years, maybe even less. Um, it was, uh, a therapist I was seeing that suggested that I should hold the ball more. My tendency as an entrepreneur and the tendency of many entrepreneurs is to be, to be active, to act. And, uh, it, there's a risk when you act, particularly when you act too quickly that you're not going to have complete situational awareness. And, uh, and I think what I'm hearing you say, and I could not agree with you more, uh, is that, you know, there's hardly anything that has to be done immediately. Um, unless the house is on fire, in which case, do call 911. 
But assuming the house is not on fire, assuming you're just dealing with something that requires to be dealt, that needs to be dealt with, it's almost always better to take that extra day. And I learned that the hard way. I made a lot of mistakes in my career. Many of those mistakes were made when I did not hold the ball. So holding the ball is something I've learned, I think, the hard way and late in life. How does that, how do you relate to that, Martin? Does that resonate with you? Yeah. And I love that analogy of holding a ball and to put it in perspective, uh, especially when you have partners and maybe this will help entrepreneurs with partners, partners will piss you off. I mean, it just, nobody's perfect. And we're, you know, it's good if they piss you off. It's good if they're diversified group of partners and they do something or they don't do something or they do something wrong and it just drives you up the wall. One rule, speaking of holding a ball that I like to go by and my team now follows it. And one of my partners I've been partnered with uh, another business. So he he's already known this one, but we call it a 24 hour rule, right? Cause if you don't follow the 24 hour rule, you're going to call that partner and it's just going to elevate. You're going to be screaming back and forth and no solution comes from that. But if you let it marinate for 24 hours, wake up the next day and you're like, that actually wasn't that big of a deal. You're going to have a different conversation with them. That's great. That's great. Our guest today was uh, Martin Rowinski. He's a uh, global technology pioneer, um, someone who's been involved in high levels of business for a very long time. And he founded a company that I think is, uh, well, I know because I've been I've been a part of uh, Board's Eye. Uh, it's a company that brings value um, and, and has made an impact for the companies that use it and for the executives that are a part of that. Um, and he's also a great guy. So, uh, Martin, it's been a real honor uh, to have you on. We'd love to have you come back and tell us more about how you're doing and, and what, what's what's shaking for you. But you got to promise me one thing. No more principal's offices, okay? I mean, <laughs> unless it's a principal at like, you know, Goldman Sachs or something like that. I mean, but you need to stay out of principal yeah, offices. You- <laughs> put your fists down. Um, you know, this is not the wild, wild west. Uh, we can resolve things amicably. Agreed? And I'm not Dirty Harry. That's right. <laughs> Love it. Partner Winsky, thank you so much for being our guest thank today. Thank you. Thank you. This was great. Thank you. And that's a wrap, folks. Thank you for being a part of the Braving Business Podcast listening audience. Be on the lookout for our weekly interviews with fascinating leaders in business and gain insight into their mindset of how they took to braving business in their own lives and careers. Check us out on YouTube, LinkedIn, and all of your favorite streaming services. Thank you again, and we'll see you next time on the Braving Business Podcast.